I want to begin our, our time together with, with this idea. When charges are brought against a person here in the great state of Texas, those charges are classified, they're categorized as either, as either misdemeanors or felonies. I know you know this, just stick with me for a minute. They're categorized as either misdemeanors or felonies. And there are different degrees of both, from a, from a ticket, which is a, a Class C misdemeanor, which usually carries along with it some sort of fine, all the way up to, to a capital felony, which in Texas could carry with it the punishment of um, the death penalty. There are degrees of offenses, and then there is varying punishment that coincide with each one of those offenses. That the punishment, uh, so that the punishment, ideally the punishment fits the crime. But here, here's my point, and really this is the point that I was after that I was after last week in looking at the concept of, of grace, there are no misdemeanors or felonies with God. There just, there just aren't. Sin is sin is sin. Any sin, all sin, any offense is a capital felony punishable by death. Because sin, any sin, all sin, is rebellion against God. And that may not seem fair. But you and I, we're not the ones in charge. And when we consider the holiness and the righteousness and the purity and the glory of God, we all sin and fall short of God. Last week we talked about the grace of God, the beautiful doctrine of, of grace which we, which we wrestle with. And for a variety of reasons that we sought to unpack last Sunday. God's holiness and His righteousness and His justice demand that His holiness and His righteousness and His justice be met. And yet you and I, we cannot meet Him where He is. And so what does He do? He doesn't lower His standards. But rather, it's God who comes to us. And He meets us where we are. And He lifts us up to meet His standards in Jesus. And sometimes we hold ourselves captive to our failures. Maybe a better way of even saying that is sometimes we allow the enemy to hold us captive to our failures, to our sin. If God has forgiven you, through Jesus, and by His grace, you're forgiven. Who are we to refuse to forgive ourselves? C.S. Lewis says that's like putting yourself up as a higher tribunal than God. In Christ, you're not held to a standard of perfection. In Christ, you're held to a standard of grace. We are to be a people of covenant who are continually cleansed by the blood of Jesus while remaining in covenant relationship with God. For if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from most sin. That's what the text says, right? No. Purifies us from all sin. We must be a people of grace who offer grace to others. And we also must have the courage 
to receive grace for ourselves. There was once uh, someone over in the, in the office who, who shall remain nameless, um, who felt that they had offended the group and genuinely apologized to, to the group. And after their apology, James Hawk, he said, I need you to listen to something. We operate on grace around here. And I, I meant to say it last week. I, I had the intentions of saying it last week, but, but it makes sense to say it today. I am so glad to preach in a congregation following the man of grace that this church has had in James Hawk for the last 30 years. And so just so you know, we operate on grace around here. And I just love that. Saved by grace through faith. Grace is God reaching to us. Faith is our reaching to God. And so this week, we're going to bring this, this short series uh, together, Saved by Grace Through Faith, with a focus upon this final core doctrine of faith, our, our reaching to God. Let me try to illustrate with, with this. On June 12th, 1987. Go ahead and go to the next slide, but let me call for the one after after this. On June 12, 1987, the world watched as Ronald Reagan addressed the powers of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union in West Berlin, demanding Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. How many of you remember? It was communism that had built the wall beginning in the early 1960s to separate East from West Berlin. It was built in order to foster and to even create further division and hostility from what stemmed after the, uh, the first two or the, the two world wars. Let me read a portion of, of Reagan's speech. You can, you can easily go online and listen to it for yourself, but just do that later, not now. But Reagan, he says this, with, with the Berlin Wall as the, the background behind, in the background behind him, in this wall had, that had separated East and West Berlin for nearly 30 years, even in 1963, just a couple of years after the wall had been built, JFK also visited and also spoke out against the newly constructed wall. But listen to what Reagan says. He says, We welcome change and openness. For we believe that freedom and security go together. That the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. Think about that. We believe that freedom and security go together. That the advance of human liberty, human freedom, can only strengthen the cause of world peace. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Reagan, he has to stop. After he says, open this gate, he has to stop because the crowd goes absolutely wild. And then when he says, tear down this wall, the thousands of people that are there, they, they go 
They go wild again. Tear down this wall. And it's phenomenal. Go to the next slide. Later on in his speech, Reagan, he says this. As I looked out a moment ago, I noticed these words crudely spray-painted upon the wall. And it's this wall here that he's talking about. I noticed these words crudely spray-painted upon the wall, perhaps by a young Berliner. This wall will fall. Beliefs become reality. He continues and he says, yes, across Europe, this wall will fall. For it cannot withstand faith. It cannot withstand truth. The wall cannot withstand freedom. Reagan, he makes these demands of, of communi- communism that many of us remember seeing, seeing live in, in 1987, 32 years ago. And even if you, if you weren't around then, um, it could very well be if you're a younger person, you've studied these things in history because now this has become a part of, of history. But here's something that's pretty interesting and why I'm sharing it this morning. In 2007, 20 years later, Time Magazine, they published an article on the 20th anniversary, and they stated that at the time, the speech that, we, that we, many of us know well, that this speech received very little, what they call, called very little coverage from the media. The senior U.S. diplomat in Berlin at the time of Reagan's speech, speech John Kornblum, he shared this insight, and he said, the speech was not elevated to its current status. Until 1989, two years later, the speech was not elevated to its current status until 89, after the wall came down. And I think that's the significant part, that only after the wall comes down do the words of the speech become as powerful as they are. Only after action takes place, do the words that are previously spoken resound? And the same is true of the gospel of Jesus. For thousands upon thousands of years, the world waited for the Messiah. And then God, through His Son, Jesus the Messiah, the the chosen one, the promised one, the only king of Israel. God, through Jesus, through the gospel, God frees his people from the captivity of sin. And the walls, the walls that exist between us and God, and the walls that exist between us and us, they come crashing down. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And these verses are just right after our theme verse that we've been focused upon for the last several weeks. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. Who has made the two one as Tim said earlier, speaking to both Jew and Gentile, making the two one, and he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. But you see, only after the action takes place do the words resound. And the same, I want to present this morning, the same is true of our faith. 
This wall will fall. Beliefs become reality. But only when action takes place do the words mean anything at all. The author of Hebrews writes this in the first verse of Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's certain of what we do not see. This, uh, this uh, attempt at explaining something that I think kind of like grace, we wrestle a bit with the, the fullness of the, an understanding of the, of the concept. Faith is being sure, certain of what we hope for. Not hope in some sort of, well, possibly it might be anticipation of hope. It's not hope like, well, I sure hope I get a good grade on this math test next week. It's, it's confidence. There's, there's security. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then what does he do? He continues in the next verse and he says, this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac. Jacob, Moses, the prophets, by faith, the people of Israel. And then he points toward Jesus. In the words of MLK, faith is taking the first step even when you cannot see the whole staircase. Faith is taking that step even when you can't see. We've got a good friend, Jim Martin. Uh, Dwight, uh, Dwight, you've, you've met us now two times in a sermon. I've mentioned your name. There's, there's something to that. Uh, I can't say too much, though, because you've got the elders' moment at the end, right? So you've got the last word. Um, but um, Dwight and Jan, and I know many of you um, who have history in the, the Pleasant Grove Church. Jim Martin grew up at the Pleasant Grove Church of Christ. He preached for about 40 years. He preached for 25 years down in Waco at the Crestview Church. He's now the, the vice president of, of Harding Graduate School of Theology. But Jim, I can remember him sharing the story of, of one Sunday as he's preaching about grace and just talking about the grace of God. And a member came up to him afterwards and said, grace, that's it. Grace is what we need. Grace is powerful. Grace is awesome. Grace is what God offers to us. Help me again. Tell me again. What exactly is it? And I think we wrestle with the concept, right? I think the same thing goes for faith. Jason, yes, faith. We need faith. Faith is what God calls us to. Faith is what we're after. Now tell me again, what exactly does it mean? What does it mean to have faith? Faith is more than belief. Faith is belief that takes a step. That's what faith is. Faith is belief in action. James, the brother of Jesus, will surmise in his letter, demons believe, but it is obvious that they are not saved. You say you believe in God. Good. I'll show you my faith by what I do. Because mere intellect and understanding is not what God is after. Now don't, don't mishear me. I've committed my life to, <clears throat> to studying Scripture. I, I have the degrees and I had the student loans to prove it. But all of the knowledge in the world about the Bible cannot save me. Only Jesus can. So many have bought into the lie that as long as my theology is right, then I'm saved. 
As long as I have an orthodox understanding of the Bible, then I'm safe. As long as I can argue louder and better than you, then I'm good. When the truth of the Gospel is that none of us are good. None of us are good. That's why God steps into the world in Jesus. And mere belief in Jesus does not save any of us. Even the demons believe. You can know the Bible cover to cover and still be far from God. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they knew the Bible so very well. And they thought that they had the market cornered on God. And they thought that they had God all figured out. And they, and they wanted to protect God. As if God needed protecting. So much so, when He came into this world, they killed Him because He didn't have as many rules as they did. You can have entire chapters of the Bible memorized. And have gotten nothing but gold stars by your name for reciting memory verses when you were in Sunday school. But we are only... Only, only saved by grace through faith. We are only saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. Saved by grace through what? Through faith. And what's faith? Faith is our belief in action. Faith is trusting God. I'm thinking about, you know those trust fall exercises where you've got a person who, who might be stand, standing high or standing on a chair and they, they fall backward into their friends and their friends are standing there with their, with their arms out and I know you've seen the videos where that's gone wrong, right? But those, those, those uh, trust exercises, uh, trust fall exercises, and I wonder if sometimes... We think God's not going to catch us. Faith is knowing that God will catch you. We trust in God, and yet we demonstrate our trust in God in and through our actions. If I could go from preaching to meddling just for a, just for a second here. I know that in a, in a gathering of believers of this size that there are some here who struggle with trusting God it, it, it might be that that you you gave your life to God decades ago you were baptized into Christ decades ago and yet you still even to this moment with with one area of your life, or maybe many areas of your life, you still worry that God's going to catch you. That God's going to save you. And so you control. And you micromanage. You, you refuse to let go and let God. And, and even though maybe that propensity toward control, even though it feels like it comes from a good place, it comes from a place of fear. You're not sure if God will catch you. And that's a matter of trust. Some of you this morning, you've not submitted your life to God through Jesus by being baptized into Jesus. 
Whatever your reason for that, I wonder if a part of it might be that you struggle with trusting God. The Apostle Paul, again, this time is in Galatians 3. He writes in regard to the faith of Abraham, and he says, Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, quoting Genesis 15. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Interesting way of saying that, isn't it? Announce the gospel that good news This is good news in the Old Testament. This is gospel that's announced to Abraham. And what's the gospel? All nations will be blessed through you. Genesis 12, Genesis 18. And then verse 9. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham. The man of faith. Saved by grace through Faith. Through faith. And, and that, word, that word through, dia, in the original language, it's so very crucial. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. What is the it? What is the, what is the gift of God? Salvation. What is it that prompts the salvation that comes from God? Grace. Last week's message, God is a God of grace and God cannot be contrary to Himself. We are saved by grace through faith. And the way that this is written in the original language, although I realize that you don't want a a Greek lesson, I can really geek out on this sort of stuff. The, The by grace, the by grace, it's passive on our part. We don't do anything to deserve God's grace. That's what makes it what it is. We are saved by grace through faith. And it's that latter part, the through faith in which God, He intends, and God, He requires action on our part. There are some who would advocate a a belief-only theology. Just believe and you'll be saved. That is not the design of God. You will not find that theology in the Bible. You will not find the statement, ask Jesus into your heart, in the Bible. Read it from cover to cover. It's not there. What you will find is the statement of God dwelling in our hearts through faith. That's Ephesians 3.17. And what is faith? Faith is belief in action. The Gospel, the good news of Jesus, the truth that the God of grace offers salvation, it is something that we must respond to. We respond through faith. Through our belief in action. We respond to the grace of God by being baptized into Christ, by being immersed into Christ, immersed so that we might be saved and immersed into a radically different way of life. We also respond to the grace of God through faith by living saved, faithful lives in covenant relationship with God. Baptism, baptism is not a work. It's an act of obedience. 
And it is a response in faith. It is how we receive the gift of salvation. Because it's the God of our baptism who saves us. And so this morning, if you've not been baptized into Christ, what are you waiting for? Our God asks for us to to take that first step. Even and especially when we can't see. Grace is God reaching to us, but faith is our reaching to God and taking steps toward Him. This morning, if you've not been baptized into Jesus, I ask you to come forward. I'll meet you as you do. As we stand, and as Adam leads us in song.